Something is very wrong. Yes. Albert, I hate to admit this, but I don't understand this situation at all. No. Welcome to Twin Peaks Rewatch. From Idle Thumbs, I'm Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. On this episode, we are discussing part four of Twin Peaks The Return. Yes. It was written by Mark Frost and David Lynch. It was directed by David Lynch. It first aired online on uh, May 21st, 2017, but its real TV debut was on May 28th, 2017. So this was the second uh, of another set of double features when yeah. it first aired on television. It was back-to-back with episode three. Yep. So what happened this week, Chris? Uh, on this episode, Cooper is confusingly escorted home as he settles into his life as Dougie Jones. The FBI agents come face-to-face with Bad Coop and Gordon Cole suspects foul play. And finally, new Truman arrives at the sheriff's department, gets filled in by Hawk, and is paid respects by one Wally Brando. Yeah. This I love this episode. Oh my god. Yeah, it's a good one. This show is really getting going at this point. I agree with that. I mean, I've enjoyed everything so far, but I mean, it's clearly Lynch clearly gave us just the complete shotgun blast of Lynchian like right into the deep end madness and now is this, yeah. I mean, this is actually a a serial television show at this point. It feels like it. I mean, even just as evidenced by the description you gave just now, having basically three concrete yeah. plot arcs that yep. follow directly from three arcs that we had from last week. Yeah, our, it, the threads are condensing. Yeah, it's, it's hard to know. It's hard to predict because it's hard to predict anything in this season and especially, uh, well, I was going to say, without having yet seen episode five. But it is feeling more and more like as Cooper sort of increasingly plants himself back on Earth, Twin Peaks is returning itself back to Earth yeah, as far as just yeah. its structure and the weird mm-hmm. stuff that we've seen. Sort of Cooper's journey from the Red Room back into just being his own body feels like maybe David Lynch was really putting us through that same journey by making it cinematically insane and impenetrable yeah. the way that Cooper's brain feels. I totally agree. And I think it's notable that this this season of Twin Peaks, while being more even still more sort of geographically disparate and scattered than any previous Twin Peaks, Mm -hmm. you know, run of material. It is simultaneously feels much more cohesively about the story of Cooper specifically. Yeah. You know, I mean, Cooper was definitely the sort of through line character in the original run of Twin Peaks, but there were, there was a lot of time dedicated to, ongoing plots that didn't necessarily have a lot to do with him, whereas it feels like everything here, even the stuff that's further afield, is ultimately somehow connected either to Cooper or to Cooper's doppelganger. Yep. Um, Yeah, even, I mean, it's funny, I was about to say, even the the farthest away stuff from the main thread, which is the stuff happening in the town of Twin Peaks, is three characters opening up the cold case of the disappearance of Agent Cooper. Right, like exactly, even yeah. even that stuff is a hundred percent focused on on Cooper. Yeah. I suspect that the Davenport murder and all the other Buckhorn stuff is going to sort of flare back up once Cooper sort of gets 
in the flow or whatever happens with, yeah. with Dougie Jones right. hits its next sort of turn in the storyline. But yeah, it, it's I thought it was surprising in the very first episode to see starring Kyle McLaughlin as like the huge text he's in the, the only closing one credits. Who gets that. Yeah. yeah. But it tracks it totally makes sense. With like all the different roles he's been playing yeah. and just how much of he's in every scene of this show almost except for the stuff in Twin Peaks right now, but it's almost inevitable that he will also be in those scenes by the time we're halfway through the season. Yeah. 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 And you know, like I've said probably in the last two episodes, I He's putting in a hell of a yeah. multi-tiered performance. It's really incredible. Yeah. Uh, so on that, actually, do you want to start off with Cooper as Dougie? With the life and times of Dougie Jones? <laughs> yes. Yeah. This is out. This is outrageous and just keeps getting more outrageous. Uh, I, I, I loved it the most. Yeah. So as we open this episode, we just directly pick up with Cooper in the Silver Mustang. Yeah, it definitely feels... I understand why this episode was partnered with episode three as well, again, because it, yeah. it feels like you could yeah, have these almost... these episodes are in pairs for sure. Yeah, which it'll be interesting to see if that stops. It, pro- it probably yeah. will, but... Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, we learned Dougie, Dougie's full name, which is Dougie Jones, yep. by way of him running into this guy, Bill Shaker. I'm only really mentioning that because this is... We now have three Bills between Bill Hastings, Bill Shaker, and the Bill at the FBI... That Gordon Cole runs into. Right. And I, I don't know that that is significant, except that it is three new characters in uh, in, in only four episodes <laughs> named, Bill. named Bill. And I, I only, again, I only bring that up right. because Dougie is an unusual name and it's already the second Dougie in Twin Peaks. Dougie is not a name I encounter. Right. Yeah. We have encountered a lot of new characters with old names or yeah. in this case, three Bills. Right. I don't think there was a bill in the old Twin Peaks. No, and and you know that probably it probably means nothing. Right, it could but also I wanted just to call be attention that, to it. Frost and Lynch thought it was funny to have all of the just sort yeah. of throwaway characters just be forgettable guys named Bill. Like for all we know, yeah. that was all that it is. <laughs> but you know, yeah. In any case, uh, he ends up uh, back at home on Lancelot Court near Merlin's Market. For God's sake. Uh, both of which I assume are direct references to King Arthur. I mean, yeah, to, I don't even to, have to assume. They to, clearly are to direct. Glastonbury Grove, Glastonbury Grove stuff. But like, yeah. It, <laughs> that's, I hadn't thought about it as stupidly literally as that or as like. There's no way it's not. I, no, it's obviously a reference to that. But just he enters the lodge in a place known as Glastonbury Grove in the woods of Twin Peaks and then pops out in the Nevada version of it, which is in just like an Arthur themed. Like prefab neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. just a uh, shitty suburb. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's there's something I want to bring up and bounce off of you. Okay. About this. And I don't I don't know how. I don't have a strong conclusion. In fact, I sort of have two different ideas that are sort of that are potentially mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. So we have Dougie Jones. Dougie, we've observed. Dougie Jones is kind of a it's a weirdly like overly silly and generic name. Jones is a very right. typical surname. Dougie is kind of a goofy name that it's hard to imagine and that many adult males having. Right. And I mention that only because his ostensible son is named Sonny Jim, right. which is basically a joke, like cliche name. Calling calling a kid Sonny Jim, that's that's literally the kind of thing that gets said in like expressions, right? You know, referring to like all American boy right. scout. Right. It's like if kid. he had a dog named Fido as Exa- well, right? It, yeah. Right. Exactly. And his his wife is named. Uh, Janie E. Joe? Janie E. 
Janie Dash E, as you you yeah, Jane, found out. Janie E Jones. Which is just such an odd, stilted thing. It also sounds like a name that was constructed to sit yeah. next to Dougie, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Dougie Jones, Janie E. Jones, and Sonny Jim Jones. Uh, Putting aside the Jim Jones reference as well. <laughs> that's that's true. Which maybe we should not. Maybe we yeah. should not put that aside. We should probably not put that aside. Um, so, all right. So, here, yeah, here's, my, here's one of my sort of postulations, right, is like is the entire family and house, which also has this really weird, like overly sort of generic 70s decor, including his weird sort of, what is it, like green tan sort of suit. Yeah. Um, that stuff all feels so, um, again, like prefab classic Americana suburb mm-hmm. construction. It almost feels as though that entire life was created to support... Yeah, this weird doppelganger thing. Uh huh. Alternatively, set aside all of the stuff about names, which is very circumstantial and not like that's sort of a, a, a very thin theory. Right. Alternatively, but it has m- more than no merit. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Alternatively, Dougie Jones himself was created recently, and but that family was an existing family and Dougie is a stepfather and second husband or right. second partner to this woman. Dougie Jones also could have been created as long as 25 years ago if we really want to think about that, right? So yeah, like that's also he true. could be the biological father of Sonny Jim Jones even though he was just basically a hot air balloon shaped like a person. Right. Um or whatever he is. I guess I said that cuz he deflates basically uh, <laughs> in episode 3. Yeah. But yeah, you know, who who knows. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know which way any of that stuff goes. Or I don't know if we'll ever knows, find yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. Um, I did the whole like we skipped over a ton of stuff in his in his life, and we can go back to it if any of it comes up. Like just his scene with the casino security boss, especially. Oh yeah, we can talk about any of that. Um, sure. Yeah. I, I that's one of those scenes that I sort of just let wash over me and didn't. Mm-hmm pull a bunch of particulars out of and I suspect that I'm going to be kicking myself later for not remembering some detail that slipped through in it but this, all the stuff that really stood out to me was once he got home yeah I, I agree um, did you notice he was you know his his only note that he was given by Bill by third Bill that we've met yeah was he's the house with the red door did right. you notice that the red door Maybe this is just a thing that I pulled out of my ass, but it really, the shape of it reminded me a ton of the entryway of like the foyer, or excuse me, of the front door and like threshold of the Palmer house. Oh, interesting. Like that sort of arched shape is really like the iconic piece of architecture in the shape of that house to me. And it doesn't mean anything at all, but I thought it was interesting that this was like, it had that same little gateway and it was another weird sort of lodge related mm-hmm. establishment yeah um and completely unrelated to that inside of it was just was david lynch giving us a completely different take on what is basically a tv family right like the palmer house is way more just a dramatic family and mm-hmm. sort of sometimes was melodramatic and sometimes was whatever but this was like a sitcom, right? It was I mean, absolutely the inside like a of this sitcom, was. Yes, I mean, it was an yes. absurdist, and that that sitcom that, like the, pushed like, way beyond what the a, whole thing what being funny a prefab. Is. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it 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 could have had, um, it could have basically had a TV audience reacting <laughs> in a way that like would have it, it should not have, and I'm glad that it didn't. But like, oh, there sure. are like '90s absurdist takes 
where suddenly there is just a TV show audience in a scene yeah. like this. Yeah. With like, man discovers peeing for the first time. Right. Like, he eats pancakes weird and right. whatever, yeah. you know, yep. whatever. Yep. His suits fit funny. Yeah. No, it's true. Yeah, it, it definitely had a weird, His kid loves vibe. it. Yep. His kid thinks it's hilarious that his dad is like a non-functional baby. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that kitchen scene... Jumping we right should, to the kitchen uh, scene. Well, I, I don't know. Was there some? Was was there stuff you wanted to talk about before that? No, I mean, there's like w- the stuff with Dougie oh, and his wife was actually yeah, interesting. That, that's actually we, should, we shouldn't skip over that stuff. Yeah, it's I we had a we had mentioned on I, I guess last episode, this podcast that perhaps Bad Coop was the one who sent assassins to kill Dougie. Right. It may also now be the case, or not also, it may instead be the case that Dougie's apparent like existing history with gambling debts yeah ha- was Dougie's done some things that have people after him potentially yeah because his wife when she sees that he has all this money from the casino she's first really scared that he got it from the casino right until she realized that he actually won it he won it right so Dougie's been up to something yeah yeah and whether or not that still is related to Bad Cooper is is you know, it could, har- could it's still hard be. to say. Who yeah. knows? But it seemed like Dougie's life is more complicated than it seemed, which makes me think that we might not be leaving Dougie as quickly as I would like to leave Dougie. Well, Dougie's a bead now. I mean, the Jones family. I'm uh-huh. really. Oh, I see. You're um, over it. I'm. Well, I there's I there are people split on on the internet and just sort of in Twin Peaks conversation about Cooper as Dougie. Yeah, and if when he drinks that coffee in the kitchen scene, which is like the most. Mm-hmm amazing good thing of all time. <laughs> that was an incredible, incredible Yeah, he, he drinks it and he, it's, it's like, it was such a crazy callback to Cooper drinking coffee for the first time or one yeah. of the first times in Twin Peaks where it's like, he spits it out because it's both hot and, or not because it's hot, because it's good or because yeah. it's both, whatever. Yeah. It, like yeah. just that like overwhelming by coffee. This was like, after seeing him pee for the first time and get completely overwhelmed by that, yeah. having him drink coffee and have it be at that level, he says... He says, like, in a mushmouth phrase, after he drinks the coffee, at first I thought he just said coffee again, but he, he says, hi. He says, hi, yeah. which is, I think, the first time that Cooper as Dougie yes. s- speaks a word that isn't yes. just parroting what someone else said. And people have postulated, probably correctly, that Cooper drinking that cup of coffee is sort of a thing that's triggering some yeah. awakening of yeah. the old Cooper. Yeah, but, I mean, I, but if I, Dougie Jones has this much backstory, it feels like it's going to, it's an, it, it is an in and of itself another new prolonged thread. Yeah. I I found myself in this episode being sort of being really heartbroken for Dougie's family who yes. clearly has been put through some shit on his behalf yeah. already in the past. And then it turns out he doesn't exist and he's erased. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's just gone a, now. he's just a sphere. Yeah. So I mean at some point Cooper as Dougie's not going to be around yeah. as Dougie anymore and that family is going to be even in even more yep. sadness. So that that was kind of sad. But in the meantime, this was h- hilarious. That kitchen scene I don't know what you think about this when um the usage of take 5 by the the Dave Brubeck is it the quartet? Or they, I think it's a yeah, quartet. Dave, Dave Brubeck quartet. The moment that comes on, did that feel like a huge middle finger to Angela Badalamenti to you? Because it did to me. Not a middle finger, but a sort of a snub, I guess. Because it starts with this, like, uh, brush snare drum. Yeah, it could have – that scene could have so easily been scored against – 
any of the sort of upbeat patter Twin Peaks library tracks, yeah. but instead it's basically like a weird novelty take five music video. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. felt, it, it, it it felt was, to me like it was a very... It was surprising. I'm sure David Lynch did not... Obviously, I'm sure he did not mean it as an actual insult to Battle but of Menti, If you're but, Battle of Menti, the composer, you've got to be like, oh, David, I could have written you a song. And yeah, he's like, I like so Take much, Five. We have so much it's, of this. It, it's funny that like it's been a, um, a sort of talking point in the last like five years or so about the way that movies are scored and about people scoring things with temp tracks from other movies and then asking their composers like in Marvel movies and in huge blockbusters and stuff like, ah, just make it sound like the thing from Hellraiser or from Spider-Man 2. And they're like, I could have written you an original thing. Ah, we already scored it against this. Yeah. It's funny that the Twin Peaks version of that is the Dave Brubeck quartet playing Take 5 where yeah. Bob Lamenti's like, this is like literally what I already do <laughs> instead of it being, you know, know like the, the Inception way- sound yeah, or something. Yeah, but like as, so I, as a composer myself, I have to say that like thinking about that gives me sort of a heart attack by by yeah. proxy because you're never gonna write anything as good as take five if right. you want something that sounds like take five <laughs> yeah like, good luck like that just sucks like it, yep. that's, you're it's just screwed. it's just gonna be take five sorry yeah. sorry angelo like yeah. that's <laughs> yeah so that that was really that's, notable that's yeah me. one of those things that where we're never gonna hear the story behind that, other than just they liked Take 5. The Take 5 replacing Bad Lamenti was interesting to me in sort of the larger scope of these four episodes. It's interesting that there's not any constant element to latch onto in Twin Peaks at this point. Like, Agent Cooper is totally inconsistent. The sort of soap opera spine is not present in the series, but also nothing has replaced it. And now even Bad Lamenti can get replaced by Dave Brubeck. Right. Yeah, and it's not as though we've had other Bad Lamenti cues regularly. Until the, this episode, the guitar strum started last episode. Oh, that's that, like, true. Wah, that's true. Wah, like, yes, that yes, was, yes. and there's been some like drones, but otherwise, it's basically just been, but, yeah, but not like been the, instantly no, recognizable melodies. The, the, yeah. No, there's yeah, there's been no real melodies other than the return of Laura's theme, right? In this episode, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, were there other? Uh, oh, you know what we should we should talk about with uh, Cooper as Dougie was the with the cutaways to the red room. Yes. Um, that's notable. Um, this is like we get more of Mike sort of gesturing and and further explaining like you've been tricked, which is something he yes, basically said to Dougie. Since episode two, Mike has been very concerned that whatever he was expecting to happen is not happening. Yeah. And we fudged some of the details about that in terms of like which, oh, which numbers were said and like did oh, the arm say it or yeah. was it the arms doppelganger? Because the yeah. arm is also the statue, uh, which can then turn into a, a different tree neuron shaped arm and that was the thing that said non-existent it wasn't the arm itself who knows what that means <laughs> but it's true okay sorry um, about that yeah it's it's all right but uh yeah mike has just basically been concerned and is freaking out which to be fair to mike was his job traditionally on twin peaks when things go wrong yeah, to warn people his job things, is yeah. to inject himself with drugs or not and scream about one of two things like in right. fire walk with me i think it was his big scene was pulling up next to Leland Palmer yeah. and with the ring on his finger and just basically freaking out. Yeah. Also, what a good scene that was. I know. Such a good scene. Um, um, yeah. So, yes. And uh, he notably informs Cooper that, I mean, presumably referring to Cooper and Cooper's doppelganger, now one of you must die. Yeah. Which is a really good Chekhov's gun situation to get in this because it forecasts a showdown between Cooper yeah. and Bad Cooper. Like, that's just an exciting thing to look forward to, right? It's, it's also, it's another reminder that for as obscure or obtuse or whatever Twin Peaks Season 3 has been, 
its plot is surprisingly simple and straightforward and comprehensible. Like, yeah. even though Cooper's journey last week was totally bizarre, you can get it. Well, the, the, and the like, specifics of it are you are never going to be something that you're going to that are going to be explained. You don't understand anyway. You don't, so it's, yeah, you, the the sort of why exactly is this happening? You don't entirely understand, but like what the major players are more or yeah, less sure. have to do mm-hmm. is is really mm-hmm. nice. Cause and effect is like fairly yeah knowable. Yeah, because um, it could easily not be. Yeah. Um, other quick observations about Cooper as Dougie. In the kitchen, there's just the really good prop, I am Dougie's coffee yeah. on the coffee cup. And also, more in the background, Sarah pointed this out, there's an oh, that, owl, that cookie, owl jar. cookie jar washing yeah. him. Speaking of owls, yeah. we oh, have yeah. skated over the most notable of You're all totally Twin right. Peaks moment in this. Yeah. Uh, at least the most notable Twin Peaks rewatch moment. Yeah. Uh, when Cooper gets out of the limousine, an owl flies overhead yeah. uh, over the street, and it's like a really nicely strobed slow mo owl. Yeah. Who knows why there's an owl there? Well, the the uh, chauffeur like notes it, right? I was just happy that the owl was there. Yeah, it was looking cheesy. No, that was really good. Like I like I like. Uh, do you want to move on to the FBI? Yeah, I think so. Cool. Uh, this stuff was great. Yes, we we open with uh, Gordon and the third bill, and uh, and and we get David Duchovny back as Denise. Yes, which I didn't know was happening. I was no, really neither excited. did I. Yeah. Yep. That that was an amazing scene in that like Denise is revealed to have become a complete FBI boss. Denise started in, off as DEA in Twin Peaks, which I guess whatever. She uh, oh, that's she's right. now FBI. What is Denise's job? It's a, uh, she's chief of staff chief of, of staff. the entire Federal Bureau of Investigation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> which I I believe she like is, yeah. takes pains to indicate that it is the entire organization. Yeah. Which is really good. Yeah. yeah. Um that whole thing was great. It was. Uh yeah, I really liked David Lynch. I, I liked the spirit of his monologue, including the like change your hearts or die thing. Yeah. I don't know how much I needed David Lynch to pat himself on the back on I, television yep. for, yeah, yeah, for yeah, like yeah, yeah. being transgender friendly in the yeah. 90s when no one else was. Take that or, or leave it. But whatever. Yeah. Uh, it was it was a really good scene. And it was good to see David Duchovny back in that role, like doing a good job. Yep. What was also notable, I, I don't know what to make of this exactly. Gordon Cole occasionally has this thing where he mishears people yes, and comically sort of guesses at what they were saying yeah, incorrectly. Just... That seems to come and go because it doesn't happen at all with Denise. Okay. Did you notice that? Mm-mm. Like he doesn't ever mishear anything she's saying. Okay. Um, la- obviously later in this episode, he turns his... Uh, hearing aid way up mm-hmm. when he's speaking quietly with Albert and so of course it makes sense that he doesn't yeah. mishear anything but in many other conversations with Albert he does like are we meant to take are we meant to assume that he is intentionally sort of fucking with Albert because Albert's such a snide I don't think so butthole? because in the second season he tells Shelley specifically I can't hear anyone really but I can hear your voice clear as day you're the only person I've been able to have that's a, true. a normal conversation with in years that's, that's true so it must just be that they didn't want that to happen in that scene. But yeah, yeah. I mean, or he is just frustrated. With, I don't know if he's playing a trick on Albert, but it might be that he's always just like mentally one step ahead of or not entirely paying attention to Albert. Right. And it's exacerbated by the fact that he can't hear because he, yeah. it happens to Cooper all the time, too. That's true. Yeah. Maybe it's just women he can hear 
properly. Or just people people he respects he gives their full <laughs> attention to, whereas yeah. Cooper and Albert, he's just like off the like, uh, whatever. Whatever, yeah. yeah you yeah. probably said this. <laughs> well, do you want to uh do you want to discuss his um the encounter with Bad Coop? Yeah, starting with their car trip out there, obviously. Yeah. Which is the most <laughs> essential scene <laughs> of Twin Peaks season three so far. Probably not actually. Yeah. But oh man. Uh <laughs> What, 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 is, what, what is it exactly that Cooper goes, says? So we're, we're, we're all the way goes, in South Dakota. We're nowhere near Mount Rushmore. And then he gives him a photograph. Yeah. Oh, of he, Mount he Rushmore, says. And then he goes, Albert says, "I brought you a picture." Yeah. And then takes the picture out. Yeah. <laughs> there they are, Albert. Faces of stone. God. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, that was actually heartwarming to me that Albert knows Gordon Cole well enough to know that like he's going to want to be in South Dakota and get to see Mount Rushmore yeah. and also somehow knowing that him staring at like a big color photo of it will still give him like an emotionally moving experience. Yeah. It's yeah. so it's so this, dumb but it's, it's so this, good. It's just like what a good old man that's like all I've yeah, ever who wanted. who works is, for a government agency. Yeah. And it's just like it's so perfect. It's Yeah. He's uh, got this really sort of old school. And then he says the thing that he would say if he was an old man looking at actual Mount Rushmore yeah. and then even then it's just faces of stone as yeah. if that has gravitas <laughs> yeah, to it. I know. I know. Oh, it's man. so good. It's amazing. Yeah. It honestly feels like this this is probably the best Gordon Cole content. Yeah, this, this episode, episode is Gordon Cole's. marred with a couple of questionable Gordon Cole as lecherous old man moments, but all of the highs are the highest that I feel Gordon Cole has yeah. ever been on screen. No, I agree. And, and buoyed by the fact that it feels like in his older age, David Lynch's nuance as a performer has really yeah. increased. I mean, not that he ever, not that the Gordon Cole stuff in the original, I mean, that stuff was always played as sort of a comic relief character, so it's not as yeah. though. It, but at the same time, he, he was a comic relief character who you knew if they had to keep using him would have to be able to be a dramatic or relevant character, which they kind of skirt around in Fire Walk With Me by having him be an interstitial yeah. character. Yeah. If they're making a season about the search for Agent Cooper, it would be really tough to not give Gordon Cole yeah. scenes that aren't just – that never get past goofing around. And it's right. good. I, I like that Lynch just decided to go for it. Yeah, and he's he's knocking it out of the park. It's, yeah. I, I think he's amazing. Because, I mean, starting with – the scene right after the drive, which is them interrogating Bad Coop. Yeah. Which was weirdly under, like, not weirdly, but I think I was surprised at how understated the performances from all three of the agents were during that scene, given how bizarre it was. Like, I. All three? So you, the third being Albert? Preston was also in there. Oh, sorry. I was thinking. I mean, no, I mean, <laughs> Cooper was being the yeah. newest weird version of Cooper, but all three of them did a very good job of silently watching this and just saying enough to maintain the conversation, but all of the actors- But not tipping their hand at yeah, all. Yeah, the actors yeah. did a good job of reading, like, what we're seeing here is bad. We can't even really let it show on our faces that what we think is bad, but, like, yeah. as an audience, you can't- At first, you're like, I didn't know, I didn't know how to read them entirely at first because they were- until I realized that the performance that they were giving was one for Cooper of not giving away what they were feeling. Right. And you eventually saw, at first for me, at least on Albert's face, like this is totally, totally messed up. Yeah. Um, Albert has not been a big wise ass, but he's been a really good, subtle character in this mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. far. Yeah. What did you think about the way that Bad Coop was talking in that in that scene? Oh, I thought it was good. I mean, he's definitely like... It seems like he's falling apart, basically. Yeah, he's definitely falling apart, right? I mean, his plan has 
worked in, in that he's not back in the Black Lodge, but it is clearly taken something out right. of him. Either I mean, either literally it took something out of him when he vomited up right, all the yeah. all the Garmin Bosia last week, or yeah. it's just the fact that there's two full fully formed Coopers in the yeah, world. Neither or, of them is quite all there. Yeah. And who, who knows which, if it's literally, if it's the barfing or just yeah. the coexistence or some combination or a mm-hmm. thing that we don't understand yet. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I Or just like his, that sort of timer, like, right? He's just been on earth too long and. Yep. It's, yeah. Oh, he's just going to expire? Yeah. yeah. It was the first time that we really saw Bad Coop act at all or even acknowledge the existence of Agent Dale Cooper. Yeah. Like, he's just been. Living 25 years Mm -hmm. in his new weird identity and seeing him say, like, I need you to debrief me and, like, doing the really weird version of the thumbs up Uh and, like, trying to... Trying to evoke Cooper. Trying to evoke Cooper. All that stuff. While he's speaking, like, several notches below. Yeah. Like, (laughs) And they're, like... (laughs) Repeating. He repeats things. Um, he said one word backwards. Yeah, he said, it's you're very good to see you. Yeah, which sounded like it was, like... A record sort of turning backwards then forwards. For I a think second. they actually did literally reverse the actual recording hmm. of Kyle McLaughlin saying very and put it before. Okay. I think that's actually what they did. I think it's the same very, but backwards. Okay, so yeah. it, it does just actually reverse then go forward again? Mm-hmm, I think so, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that stuff is very notable. <laughs> um, what, God, someone, this is, ridiculous that I don't have this brought to mind but like we've seen that repeating recently as well sort Which of repeating? like repeating a sentence well Cooper's been doing it like crazy oh you mean just mimicking people yeah, yeah and yeah, just yeah. like he just says uh, what does he says about help and he you know he just he says he yeah. Cooper just kept saying right the same s- three sentences and words over and over again yeah. for half of the episode but, it but was, I mean but I mean bad Cooper is saying things through his own intention yeah but he will like still repeat a sentence. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. That, that I, th- I thought that stuff was effective. I liked it. Yeah. I mean, there's no way you could be watching that and not think something's wrong. Right. I mean, oh yeah. Of course. Super. Of course. I just, I, I really liked it, but it's good. I think I just liked the way that the, that the FBI agents played it. Like they no, didn't, totally. they didn't break, but they just, they conveyed that they were witnessing the weirdest shit ever. Cause for mm-hmm. those guys, they haven't seen that person in 25 years. And yeah. then they see him and are like, I don't know what I expected, but it was not a weird, tanned, crazy-haired Cooper talking two octaves too deep uh, while still trying to give me the thumbs up. Yeah. Like. Yep. Yeah, and then we get the uh, we get the scene with um, with Gordon Cole and Albert. Yes. Out in the sort of yard or whatever that whatever that is. Yeah. Um, That I really liked as well. Yeah. Um, So when Bad Coop is talking to the agents he he's talking about he says philip jeffries he mentions philip jeffries the agent uh portrayed by uh david bowie in firewalk with me and says he's been working with him and he's left messages uh so philip knows it's safe uh which is a weird thing for yep. the agents to hear um and then i i thought it was crazy that when they were out there um albert apparently auth- like heard from philip jeffries in the intervening years and authorized him to give Cooper information. Yeah. That's insane. Like, it's crazy that Cole was not aware of that. It was, that was good. I thought just like, it was a year ago, I think that they said it happened. Yeah. Which is hard to know anything about what that means because we saw, we saw 
Bad Cooper try to talk to Jeffries on his weird device in episode two, got someone who he didn't expect, yeah. and we don't know what that means. Yeah. That guy's voice was also weirdly downpitched, yeah. and I don't know if that is related yeah, at all, know. but yeah, the Albert deciding to just go off the reservation and give information to two agents who have basically disappeared, but were presumably both his majorly longtime friends. Yeah. And then Cole's total disappointment and confusion in that was really well played. Yep, I agree. It was really good. Yeah, there was David Lynch did a lot with his face. Also, just in these scenes, which was amazing. He just says Albert three times in a row. Yeah, and it's like it's heartbreaking. It's yeah. just like yeah, it's crushing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The sort of disappointment and betrayal and confusion in each of the Alberts was so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that whole scene was very good. It was, was so great. Like, including Albert him, like, crunching the dirt and yep. then it just blowing uh-huh. out his thing. Yeah. Was, I saw someone point out, and I'm, I can't remember where, um, it was in one of the Idle Thumbs chats or forums or tweets that I, I think it was in one of those places that, the, that Albert crushing the foot or crushing his foot into the ground and the foley being an overbearing sound element is especially notable given the sound design of Twin Peaks as a whole has just been like the most clumpy, crunchy, aggressive foley. The soundscape is just feet clomping around, Mm -hmm. Um, which doesn't, again, who knows, that probably doesn't track it or relate to anything, but it was funny to see that then become an actual dramatic turning point in the scene that 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 was all you could hear to the point that it was overwhelming. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, I agree. I think that scene works all the better because we've been in such a uh, sort of heightened super like fully centric yeah. kind of sound design landscape soundscape I guess is what I'm saying. Yep. I uh, hope that I hope that Agent Preston gets a storyline. Yeah, that character doesn't really exist for any purpose. Yeah, so far. in episode one she was just sort of a little bit of an expo- or in episode three she was an exposition machine. Yeah. And then in episode four, Denise and Cole talked about how she was eye candy or was she more than eye candy. Then she walks away from like Cole doesn't trust her, even though he told Denise that he trusts her because he sends her away and then just sort of looks at her butt. Yeah, and that and was she her only explicitly as eye, as candy, eye candy for like fifteen seconds, and then yeah. and then she's gone. And like that could be David Lynch as Gordon Cole explicitly trying to put a button on the fact that yeah, he does have like a super male gaze in his work. It also could have just been sleazy. It could also, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Gordon Cole being being. A little bit of a lech seems like it was introduced as a character trait in this episode. And I saw an interview with David Lynch where someone asked him about Gordon Cole's past deeds that got him this reputation with Denise. And David Lynch's answer was just like with a laugh saying, you don't want to know. Woo. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't don't want to know. It's true. Um, But hopefully she's along as a third character for a reason because having read the book – She's heavily involved in that as a character who right. cares a ton and knows a ton of information and like seems like a competent, good person to have in the show, but she's not been used to any degree so far. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's true. There's 14 more episodes of this yeah, thing no, to we go. Don't know anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we know nothing. We're like, a, it's interesting. We're doing, barely in this. No, it's true. This is, it's interesting doing this podcast. We've mentioned this, but it's interesting doing this podcast as compared to the first like 35 episodes of this podcast <laughs> because. Even though we didn't, even though we sort of discussed each episode as its own thing, we obviously couldn't help but know the full arc of the right. Work, it, it's, you know, it makes it very easy to sort of weed out pieces when you're discussing them, or 
talk about something that's small in an episode because you know that it's yeah, going to launch into something yeah. big and sort of bring attention to it when you're discussing it. With this stuff, it's so by the seat of the pants. It's it's way harder to have any sort of guided, authoritative conversation about this mm-hmm. stuff. Yep. To that point, in the spirit of just jumping around. Well, before we do, quickly. I was going to stay in this scene. I wanted oh, okay, to know what okay, you thought yeah. about the weird day for night blue tint color stuff. Oh, yeah. I didn't really have an opinion. I mean, I noted it. I didn't really have an opinion. I didn't know if it was supposed to actually be a weirdly stylized day for night yeah. or if it was just a choice f- to make the scene different in the same way that it feels like every mini scene in this season has its own you should aesthetic. Explain, you should explain day for night because I don't think that's a commonly known. F- day for night is an old movie making technique, which I guess is back now that digital color grading is a big deal. It's when you didn't have the like time or lighting and cinematography prowess or budget to shoot a nicely lit night scene. So you would shoot it in the daytime and then sort of like deliberately underexpose or underdevelop your footage and tint it blue so that it looked like it was just a bright moon, but it was really clearly just the sun. You would do that with lighting that was like amped up to be high contrast yeah. in the actual scene itself, right? Yes, well, you would yeah. you would try your best to make it look like there was a big bright moon and then know that you would tint everything yeah. and underexpose it down to make it nighttime. In some real cheesy movies, they don't do the thing you just said. They just said, we'll <laughs> fix it by turning <laughs> right. it blue. And this scene didn't make any effort to do any color balancing work other than what looked like just applied the blue tint from a day for night effect on top of a daytime shot but it just kind of gave it a weird look. It kind of just looked like a um, like a police network, like a network TV sort of yeah. police procedural or something it was to just me. Pushed I don't know if that was be- it was just pushed beyond where those shows yeah. would push it. Yeah, or yeah. if it wasn't pushed beyond it, it's because the Dougie stuff and all the other scenes aren't color graded like that, that it really popped out yeah. suddenly. Yeah. Um, I don't know. My answer is I don't know, Jake. It was. It's always weird to me how quickly your eyes adjust to a color graded thing. Yeah, it's true. Though, yeah. Like, yeah. The time, the time that I first noticed that, this is a stupid thing to talk about for half a second, but you know in The Matrix? <laughs> I mean, there's, I know There's that movie. the scene where Neo is being interrogated by, oh, yeah, yeah. by the guys, and it starts off in just like a control room with a bunch of yellowed TV screens. Then the camera flies inside of one of them, and the scene just ran- maintains that sort of like amber, sepia-toned mm-hmm, yeah. hue. And I remember being so surprised that by like halfway through that scene, I didn't notice it anymore. Yeah. And I think that everyone who did digital color grading and digital color correction also noticed that because now nothing has natural colors in it ever. Right. I mean, even Twin Peaks doesn't. Twin Peaks is very heavily graded. Which is really different to the original series. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like sometimes they color grade it to try and look quote unquote filmic, but other times they just do not care. Like this scene or obviously the crazy purple, purple stop motion room in the last episode. Yeah. Um, Or Dougie's house, which is the most saturated, wild looking (laughs) thing in the world. Yeah. Um, so at the end of the Gordon Cole and Albert Rosenfeld, I always yeah. forget his name, Rosenfeld scene, uh, they- You can just call him Albert. There's yeah. only one Albert so far. It's, it's true. They make really pointed reference to uh, one special person to take a look at Cooper. And uh, so they go, do you know where she lives? I know where she drinks. Who do you think that is? I, it's total speculation at this point, obviously. I've seen people think people Diane was it was yeah, a popular internet theory. Diane, I've seen Audrey Horn, I've seen Sarah Palmer. Yep, um, they're gonna, Josie Packer. They're just gonna look at that uh-huh. drawer pull. <laughs> God, Mrs. Tajimura. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's no reason why the eccentric billionaire who is funding the glass box would be Catherine Martell. Yeah. 
But that's but all let's that I just want. Hope and pray. God, if if it just if she walks out and then the end credits say starring Piper Laurie as Catherine Martell and <laughs> and then it says Kyle McLaughlin, like in the style of Tajimura uh, not being in the credits and not right. being announced and then just being re- revealed. Yeah. Oh, let's hope she's let's hope she's she's she enters the series as a to- totally different male character in disguise. <laughs> And it says, it's me, the eccentric billionaire, yeah. starring Piper Laurie Hopefully, as the eccentric once billionaire. Once again, <laughs> revealed with a saucy painted toenail. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's It seems likely that it's one of those three characters. Yeah. I'm just mention- putting it out there so that we've like mentioned yeah. it because once again, you know, we don't know where any of this stuff is actually yeah. going. So we sort of, that's a question. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, I we- saw a lot of people saying... Um, Oh, it's going to be Diane, and that's going to be Laura Dern's role as like the big internet fan cast thing. Oh, that would be but, crazy. But the internet also thought that Naomi Watts would potentially be an FBI agent. Like the internet keeps thinking, like, oh, these big David Lynch actresses are going to be playing some major hitherto right. for unknown character, and like all the but those suppositions are all predicated. all the major walk-ons so far have been in minor roles. Yeah. Well, okay, what is what is left here? Oh, the, the everything at the sheriff's department. Oh my god. Okay. Everything at the sheriff's there's department. Good stuff to talk there's about here. there's one tiny scene that was wedged in between these which was the quick uh jump back to Buckhorn. Oh, you're right. Which yeah, was we, the, that's the, right. the Buckhorn yes. investigation, the fingerprints on John Doe, like cuz the head is Ruth Davenport. Yeah. And the body is an unknown John Doe and the the fingerprints came back classified. Right. And that's all that we really learned. With the well, there was like a military block put on. Yes, it. which, which think, makes the internet think that it's uh, Major Briggs. Okay, yeah, I, I thought that was notable because my original assumption would have been it was Bad Coop messing with things, but then they said military, and I don't know why that would have been. The only reason the 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 sort of tie together that I I thought this and then read it on the internet, which made me think less of my own opinion, <laughs> because uh-huh. when everyone gets too excited about something, it's probably not true. Bobby talked about Cooper visiting. Major Briggs, yeah, right before Major Briggs died in a fire, mm-hmm. and we know it wasn't Cooper. We know it was Bad Coop, yeah. And I don't know why Major Briggs's body would be in that room unless Bad Coop continues his trip down the road of being Wyndham Earl and leaving clues inside of his murders. And that body mm. is Major Briggs because it's supposed to mean oh, something to ew. someone. Weird. That's. I mean, that was a, that's a complete wait, wait, weird loop wait, on itself. Did, did, we, did we get any? Did we get any hint as to when? Major I feel Briggs like it was a lo- I feel like it was a long time. That's ago. what I would have assumed as well. Maybe he was just you know, who knows? It probably isn't that. That's yeah. but like when Bobby was talking about that, and it seemed like Major Briggs actually Bobby was acting. Um, sorry to jump ahead and talk about Bobby, That's but fine. Bobby Bobby was acting like it was assumed that his dad's death was a tragic accident, was just a tragedy, but. Given that we know what we know yeah, about yeah. who that Cooper is, it seems like it was very clearly not a tragedy. Right. Um, well, I mean, it was, but not an accident. Either. It was not a tragic accident. It was. Yeah. It was a tragedy and murder, probably. Right, probably so. Yeah. Um, but that also, I don't. I, I'm not clear enough on the timeline, and I'm sure people will write in. And well, I don't think there's any us. way to be yet. Yeah. I, right. No. Well, let's just let's just continue off on that, right? So, oh well, there, one one quick thing about Ruth Davenport that was brought up by someone on our forums that is my favorite piece of Twin Peaks season three speculation that's related only to the Buckhorn South Dakota thread, mm-hmm. which is that Ruth Davenport in her apartment there's a book on the shelf. Oh my god! Yeah, called Indian Heritage. Yeah. 
<laughs> and that's all that it's called. Also, someone pointed out that I think her apartment is on Arrowhead Lane. Yeah. So it's making me hope against hope that the log lady's uh, message from her log to Deputy Hawk that it has to do with his heritage is actually not is some book? spun out owl cave <laughs> stuff, but it's like, oh, geez, okay, it's a book called, called, called Indian Heritage God, in a Dead Woman's Apartment, which maybe has a notable classified John Doe in it. But, but sure, like, yeah, yeah. that, you know, enough lines are pointing back to that apartment that I really hope. That seems th- too good to be true, but, but I let's, know, let's hope. I know. Yeah. Oh, it's. God, that would be so funny and good. Yeah, if like. Either that book itself was missing from the library because Ruth Davenport's yeah, yeah, a librarian, yeah, librarian, or yeah. if they open it up and there's like a picture of someone in there or something or carved something out inside yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, or yeah. a page torn out. Yeah, yeah. If Fingers that, crossed. <laughs> if that clue is that literal, it would be very good and actually very in line with some of the ways that that the show in its past likes oh, to do stuff yeah. in its in its yeah. cheekiest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they could also just X Files it up in Owl Cave. We'll see. Yeah. Um, well, so let's 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 continue from that onto the sheriff's into department. The sheriff's department. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we we open in the sheriff's department with Lucy <laughs> being literally bowled over by the ability of the new sheriff Truman to be anywhere in the world while speaking to her on the telephone. Yeah, Jake, you are a detractor. I'm going to go this. on the record and say <laughs> I hate it. I straight up hate it. Yeah, I really like I was deep into the chocolate bunny scene last yeah. week even though I've been kind of on the fence about Andy and Lucy I feel like they're a little bit out of their element in this season of Twin Peaks and I don't think the writing is doing them any favors but last week I was on board this week Lucy literally not understanding how a cell phone worked actually like kind of ticked me off it felt like it was just put like dunking her character in the toilet for me <laughs> <laughs> you mean because she's being portrayed as so, so incompetent. Yeah, like okay, yeah. Lucy's character in the original Twin Peaks was always kind of a ditz and yeah. like not always the fastest on the uptake when new information was presented to her. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, she was also kind of presented as the glue that was holding the operation of this funky ass small town sheriff's department together. Like Lucy, when they went out to do the Tibetan rock throwing thing. The whole setup was presumably put together by Lucy to the specific requests of those characters. Lucy is the mm-hmm. only person who she understands. She has that whole donut spread that yeah, she does. Yeah, she is the, also the only person who actually understands how the analog phone system works to extreme detail, to the annoyance of everyone because she's an obsessive, like, over-talker, over-explainer about it. But it's not that the system doesn't isn't understood by her. I've always assumed it's that she actually understands it specifically and maybe one time when they first got it, People didn't understand how it works, so she just has decided for herself that it's like, <laughs> right. it's the red light blinking next to the other one, push the button. Yeah. So the idea that 25 years later, Lucy doesn't know how a cell phone works just felt like right. it was, it felt like we were journeying back into A the good sh- 15 years after cell phones started becoming pretty commonplace. I feel like Thomas Eckert could have had a brick phone in season yeah. one of Twin Peaks and it would yeah. be fine. But yeah, like we're, we're a good... We're ten years past smartphones being right. an invention, let alone cell phones. It it reminded me of some of the dumpy one dimensionaling, one dimensionalizing of characters that happened in season two, where they're like, Andy's just the character who says a sentence over and over again. Um, sure, yeah. You know, like uh, it's the whole dang town or whatever. I'm a whole damn town. Yeah, it, I'm a whole. It damn feels town. like that. We're like, oh, Lucy's just the ditz who's slow, and we're like, Lucy's out of touch or whatever, and like it. 
it really it just bummed me out because I I my favorite thing about Andy and Lucy in the show is when the writers are really sympathetic to those characters by giving mm. them bursts of three dimensionality and like they are weird, but they're functioning humans with lives right. and with interiority and yeah. like they're doing their job well enough to not be fired after 30 years because they, they've shown that the Twin Peaks Sheriff's Department either has always had or has since scaled up yeah. to having a legitimate operation with a I bunch of- I assume the latter. Yeah, with like actual dispatch desks yeah. and like a bunch of detectives who are working real cases and it seems like it's maybe trying to say that like the guys in the old sheriff's office are kind of the joke team who are just kept on- because they're, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it feels grandfathered like, in. it feels like, yeah, which maybe something more will come of that that will, like, mm-hmm. make me feel better about it. Sure, but, yeah. But, like. We'll contextualize all this stuff. It felt like it was, ah, I don't know. I mean, I also accept it in the realm of just Twin Peaks having absurd sight gags that fly out of nowhere and suddenly a cartoon sound effect happens as a character's, like, pulled over by a rope. But I didn't like that, like, for the limited screen time we're getting of these characters, this is the focus. It just like yeah. as a as a genuine fan of those of Andy and Lucy who like loved them in the early run of the show, I felt let down by mm-hmm. by Lucy by this being the thing that we're spending time on with what Lucy's character is. Um, so yeah, that's fair. So let's let's um, but let's skip uh, the actual loop around the actual investigation related stuff. You want to skip briefly to okay. talk about. Wally Brando because it's the it is the I think the first moment where we get any like additional dimension to Lucy and Andy. Yeah. Although that said, the scene is one hundred percent stolen by by Michael. Rightly Sarah. so by Michael Sarah. Yeah. Um, I'm probably going to be just written off as a host of a Twin Peaks podcast by saying that I was annoyed at the Lucy cell phone scene, but I totally was on board one hundred percent for the Wally Brando scene. But oh, I was totally on board. But with that, that is true. I. At this, I, I was laughing wildly at Wally Brando, and especially when it would cut back to the new Sheriff to Truman. Sh- yeah, Robert Forster, by yeah, the way. Yeah, Robert Forster, who was Lynch's original choice to play Sheriff Truman in the, in yeah, the original so show. Yeah, that's so crazy. Um, what a different dynamic that would have been. I think it would have still been really good, but it's very- I do too. They, I mean, I'm glad it was Michael Unkeen, but yeah, but, but yeah, it would have also been good. The, the, Wally, the Wally Brando scene did actually do a good job of- Presenting Andy and Lucy as people who have just decided to exist in their own weird world while the rest of Twin Peaks moves on, right. as evidenced by the sheriff looking at the three of them and just going, <laughs> <laughs> "All right, okay." Uh, the creation of Wally Brando feels like the first new actual Twin Peaks believable resident of Twin Peaks introduced in this series. Yeah, like that. That character feels like a new character who actually totally fits into the like world of the old Twin Peaks and it's totally fitting to me that I I think so too I think Wally Brando to me Wally Brando is still hard for me to accept as an actual potential mainline Twin Peaks character but Wally Brando is the best love letter to Twin Peaks season 2 that (laughs) Twin Peaks could have written yes like a hundred percent. Yeah. Wally Brando yeah. is like that is a total Twin Peaks season like, two character. You're if you right. take Dick Tremaine and yeah. 
Yeah, could he and actually- John Wheeler, which was uh, who was the actor? Billy Zane. Billy Zane. Who? Bill, okay, if you think Wally Brando doesn't belong in Twin Peaks because like Michael Sarah is a name who shouldn't show up in this. Yeah. Remember that when Billy Zane was the hottest shit, he showed up in Twin Peaks as a character whose job was basically to sit around and look cool, then <laughs> take. Audrey's virginity and then fly away in a private plane. Yeah. So yep. I don't know. I don't know if <laughs> Wally Brando actually doesn't belong in Twin Peaks or if maybe people's memory of what Twin Peaks has included in its are entirety you, is. Selective. Do you keep saying these things because people are? Obje- are, are you, Wally you, Brando you, is a contentious character. Okay. He is hated by many. Oh really? Yes. Oh wow. I I okay. Yeah, I mean, I fair enough, I guess. I so that's I, why I was I, mounting a defense to no one. Yeah, I couldn't. Uh, I wasn't Wally, sure who you were. Wally Brando is, is like his inclusion is contentious. I see. Okay. I, yeah, I, I mean, I think very happy about. I it. think it is probably the case that he would not stand up as a sort of constantly present no. character who if has Wally to carry. Brando was in the pilot of Twin Peaks. That shit would not fly. Yeah. But but if he was if he was in. Ben Horn protecting the pine weasel, and they're like, "What do you think, <laughs> Wally Brando?" And he shows up and does all of his weird yeah, shit, just like gives totally, some speech about the just, sanctity of nature. Yeah, or some it would shit. just disappear into the show, a hundred percent. There'd be no complaints. God, I season two of Twin Peaks. Really ben Horn saving the pine thing. weasel. I've gone back to that well a couple times, but it's yeah. just like such a succinct yeah. like. That's what Twin Peaks is now, I guess. Yep. yep. Um, yeah, no, I thought that whole thing was amazing. His weird, his like obs- his constant restating that he's here to pay his respects. The weird like allusion, simultaneous allusions to Rebel Without a Cause and the Godfather, yeah. and like to his costume, to everything about yeah, him. his 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 uh, Marlon Brando and the Wild One yeah get up, including like the outrageous name on the leather jacket, Wally. Oh, the name Wally is a ridiculous name. Mm-hmm. It has no bearing on Twin Peaks unless, and this is my this is my secret wish, which is maybe your secret wish as well, that Annie and Lucy named him in memory of Waldo the bird. <laughs> God, <laughs> that was that actually did not occur to me. That would be weird. What that was? That, he was murdered in yeah, the, pol- in the, the police sa- in the sheriff station. But it's not the same name. Well, it could be short for it. What about? Wasn't there Wally's hideout? Wasn't that? <laughs> Wasn't that a thing from Twin Peaks? Oh, I don't remember. Yeah, it was. We kept calling it Hideout Wallies because the sign was upside because the sign was lettered weird. Right. Um, that, that would was be a, a weird that, reference. That was, yeah, that would be very strange if Andy and Lucy named their son after the place where James went and hung yeah, out. Had his weird with affair Vivian with Vivian or whatever <laughs> when he was repairing her car. Evelyn. Or Evelyn. Yeah. 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 <laughs> when he was repairing her car and then yeah. getting embroiled in her husband's murder. I mean that that version of James is very much. The character that that's that true. Maybe they were Wally like, we Brando want to name him most similar. We to. want to name him after our favorite motorcycling actor Marlon Brando and our favorite motorcyclists hangout in the region, Wally's <laughs> Hideout. Hideout Wally. Hideout Wally's. <laughs> His full name is quote Hideout Wally uh, Brando. Yeah. Brennan. Yeah. Anyway. Um, I moving on. I wanted to. I want to because we're we have a bunch of email to read this time, and we're already getting. Yes, this episode is far longer episode. than the Twin Peaks episode we were discussing. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, I want to talk about Bobby in oh, the yeah. sheriff's department because it was sort of incredible. I thought to see that character back, looking so similar and 
making the exact same I know. faces. It was when, sort of amazing. When he first sort of turned around, it was like, oh, you're all grown up. You're an adult. And then when he got choked up over the fo- over, over Laura, the Laura Palmer, I was yeah. like, you cry the same way as you did yeah. when you were a teen. With that same music. Yeah. It was it was crazy. It was sort of eerie. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I it's, it's a stupid nitpick. I do kind of wish that like the buildup to that had been longer. It was for how drawn out and slow Twin yeah, Peaks has fair. been this season. That he saw the quick. picture and then cried immediately. It's allowed because it's Bobby who is, was like a notable crier under all Laura stuff. But yeah, it was it was surprising to me. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, you're right that he that he was more. Qui- I mean, even in the original series, yeah, he, he was more quickly brought to tear, like brought to sort of grief. Yeah, he was he was for how cool he always played it. He was an immediately very emotional person. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, just, and that was the first time that we've heard any of the old. Themes other than the theme song explicitly blasted blasted at full volume. Yeah, uh, and then we just we get some other we get a couple other um, deputy characters, including this this jerk Chet, oh, deputy Chet. Yeah, I hate Chet. <laughs> Chet sucks. I think we can all agree. He's named Chet. Yeah. Um. Yeah. That that's. I think that's probably all I had about um the episode, unless there were things you think we've missed. I don't believe. So, oh, real quick, uh, just to go back to Wally Brando, real quick. I mean, there's so many lines that would be, that would be, that are great to quote. My, so my whatever, notes, but. my notes for this are: Wally Brando is here. What the fuck is happening? <laughs> <laughs> oh, he talks about Lewis and Clark, which yeah, I that's was, what I was just going to interesting because yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. Mark Frost's book opens with. Yes, that's with, what the Secret History of Twin Peaks. It, yeah, the prologue yeah. of that book is about when Lewis and Clark were mapping the Pacific Northwest. They encounter basically lodge spirits and maybe find Owl Cave and meet some Native Americans out in the woods who know about this stuff. Also, the way that Wally Brando like mentions them is out. It's it's like, I think about Lewis and his friend Clark, like the first Caucasians to see this land or some crap like that. God, amazing. (laughs) What a ridiculous character. I love it. Yeah, it was, it was, it was something else. Anyway, shall we do some email? Yeah, we, we we totally skipped over email last time, and so I wanted to make sure to get some this time. Um, I apologize, just right from the start, if we don't get to your email. We got we had a lot of email because we had two weeks um, or two episodes worth of it. Also, thanks up. everyone for writing in stuff. Yeah, thank you so much. You can write in at twinpeaks at idlethumbs.net. Also, apologies if. I accidentally passively worked something you wrote in an email into this episode because I did screen a couple of them before we read it and some of them might have seeped into my brain. So yeah, I mean, we read all of it, but it doesn't all we make do, it onto the yes, show. We do read all of it. So I apologize on my on my behalf for the same thing if that happened. I'm sorry for you, Chris. Thanks, Jake. Um, so also, uh, if I'm reading your email, it's almost almost certain that I condensed it heavily either to sort of pick out one point or question or to sort of edit it down. Or to make I, you look dumb. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure that we got more different people yep. as opposed to, you know, yep. yeah. Anyway, so uh, here, th- these are a combination of sort of observations and questions. So here is um, just a straight up observation from Katie Atchison that we neglected to mention ourselves. She says, hey guys, Walter who plays Jacques Renault in series one and two plays Jean-Michel Renault in series three. The most rampant theory is that he is a cousin. It's fun hearing your reactions. Thanks for podcasting. Cheers, Katie. This is a tiny spoiler, but I looked at Mark Frost's Twitter account and someone asked him about the Renault 
Mm-hmm. And his clue was to think about the theme to the Patty Duke show, which is identical cousins. Okay. So oh, it, is a, it is okay. a Renault cousin. So, yeah, yeah. Who knows how much more he'll be in there, but I don't care. I'm so happy that that actor's back playing another Renault. Oh, yeah, definitely. I want either an equally lascivious Renault <laughs> to Jacques Renault. <laughs> or the total opposite. Or just like the cleanest, yeah, most uh-huh. like just stereotypical yep. Canadian man. Yeah. Like yep. just give yep. me yep. one of the two. Yep. Um, here's a really, really great deep cut from Travels, Travis McElroy. Travels. Travels. Travis McElroy. Travis McElroy, who writes, Hello, I was listening to the episode two, and the way you described the moment when Red Room Laura removes her face to reveal a light behind it suddenly made it click, and it reminded me of Carolyn Earl's death mask from season two, episode 15. The white mask with the flashlight behind it that Wyndham Earl leaves for Cooper. Think there's a connection? Travis McElroy. This is definitely there's got this has got to be intentional, right? The when Lo- yeah, I didn't I'd totally forgotten about this right because I was so into the, Laura taking her face off being evocative of, I mean it is evocative of the other thing of yes, the characters also, of, the of the characters the above the convenience store of, who yeah. sort of pull their faces on and off as the or they're just covered by a paper mache facsimile mm-hmm. of their face, but Laura's face is so much more closely related to that Carolyn death yeah, mask. It is definitely a which, closer match. That is a super deep cut because it's deep in the heart of season two and like the Wyndham Earl stuff. But yeah, yeah, that Cooper goes back to, is it just in his hotel room where there's just that white mask of a face with like the eyes with light blasting out of the eyes, which is right. Which is also very similar, similar to the, and the fact that it's completely face. smooth. Yeah. looks like plastic or something. It, yeah. It's, it's like just a pristine mask of her yeah, face. Yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah. know what to observe other than it's a really cool visual echo, but thank you, Travis, for sending that to us. Yeah. It's really cool. Yep. It's that a really was, good observation. Um, Alex writes, hey, guys, I was listening to your discussion of episode three, and during the beginning with Agent Cooper and that strange part of the Black Lodge, I couldn't help but notice similarities to Eraserhead. The monochromatic color scheme, the strange low-budget set design, the unpleasant industrial sound design. Is this a deliberate reference? Are we getting a retrospective of David Lynch's aesthetic over his career? Either way, I can't wait till he starts dropping those sweet Dune references. Thanks, Alex. Yeah, I this is a good point and I totally agree. I think especially the sort of like outer space stuff, which I th- might be what what he or she's referring to here. I think that stuff is like directly parallel to Eraserhead and also in general the like lo-fi film aesthetic pumped over the top of it also just evokes the lo-fi actual film look of Eraserhead too. yeah and also the Eraserhead is a movie that is so in the sound design of that film is so incredibly central to the entire presentation of that film and the it's like meticulous and very fully driven, which is also true of this season of Twin Peaks. So I think yeah. that is a totally appropriate parallel. Um, Rachel writes, hey, guys, glad to have you back. Enjoy listening to your podcast. Help. Oh, this is something that we. OK, so I'm glad Rachel wrote in because you mentioned one or two episodes ago that you wanted. You couldn't remember who the last person with the ring. Oh, was. yeah. A couple of people. Someone in our YouTube comments also reminded yeah. me of this. So she continues to help you remember Agent Chet Desmond was the last to have the ring and fire walk with me right before he disappeared. We are then brought back to the FBI office, I think, where we are reintroduced to Cooper, Cole and Jeffries. The next time we see the ring is when Teresa Banks has it. And after she's killed, Laura finally takes it at the end of the movie right before she's killed by Bob. Hopes this helps. Rachel, hope this helps. However, in... Twin Peaks, The Missing Pieces, mm. I believe that Annie has the ring on in the hospital and it's taken by an orderly. Oh, man. 
So I don't know if the missing pieces are canon or not. Yeah, I don't really know what But the I feel like the ring's is. fate is different depending on whether or not the deleted scene is included or not. And also where that lands in time relative to anything else. That's true. That's a good point. Um, yeah, the ring goes on a, quite the journey in that movie. Yeah. Uh, and then it ended up on Dougie. Was that the same one? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah, it was. of course it was. That's why we mentioned it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm an idiot, sorry. Okay, Daniel writes, (laughs) On the scene with Jacoby spray-painting shovels, the original series had scenes like this in its early episodes, puzzling viewers and injecting a tiny bit of mystery into an otherwise mundane activity with curious details. The eye patch wearing Nadine fussing over her drape runners, or Audrey changing from saddle shoes into red heels. It's the visual equivalent of a non-sequitur. I know Lynch likes to portray his characters as the most extreme and absurd versions of themselves, and with his films, we often don't get them any other way. But with Twin Peaks, thanks to the wildly varied original series, these characters were developed beyond just a high-octane one note. Does Lucy's characterization so far seem really unflattering, like she's manic or actually suffering from a degenerative neurological disease or something? Daniel. I think so. Threw that in there for you, Jake. Others disagree. (laughs) Jacoby with the shovels, the the best speculation as to what that could mean... um, my friend Doug Wilson, who's a game developer who... He wrote into the first episode of this. Okay, yeah, he wrote into the first episode. His theory for what Jacoby is painting those shovels for is a groundbreaking ceremony. Mm. Which is the... That's the most logical reason for golden shovels. Yeah, that's true. Because it's ominous and weird, and then yeah. they're, they're going to... Maybe it's Ghostwood Estates finally, uh, oh my God. finally groundbreaking. <laughs> uh, but now known as Rancho Rosa. Right. Well, Rancho Rosa, isn't that an actual place well, it, in that is not... But that right. was like that. That sign seemed like that was the name of that housing development. So maybe it's going to be uh, Ghostwood Estates, a Rancho Rosa community, <laughs> groundbroken by Doctor Jacoby and his golden shovels yeah. on the whirling Burning Man machine that he and Jerry <laughs> Horn are going to just drive out of there right afterwards. Yeah. Um, all right. But yeah, that relating those shovel cutaways to some of that earlier stuff tracks, except for the fact that this is the only one that we're getting. Right. Which is strange. Yeah. Uh, we got two more left. Jeremy Hobbs writes. I'm one of the associate producers on the amazing new documentary, David Lynch, The Art Life. I'm only in my 30s, but I was lucky enough to catch Twin Peaks in its original run as a terrified junior high school student. Discovering Twin Peaks and the work of David Lynch was a seminal moment in my life because it inspired me to pursue art as a career path, which has come full circle due to my involvement with this new Lynch doc. I think it's absolutely hilarious that Lynch, the creator of all this madness, cast himself in the straight man role. The look of confusion on Gordon Cole's face and his befuddled exclamation of, What the hell?! after seeing the mutilated corpses of the young couple from episode one, was priceless. It's terrific that the only character in the show who seems genuinely confused and disturbed by what's going on is the guy who's actually responsible for it in real life. It reminds me of the part in Mulholland Drive where the frightened man says of the mysterious entity behind Winkies, he's the one doing it. 10-4, good buddies. Jeremy Hobbs. We didn't talk about that. We didn't talk about the fact that Gordon Cole specifically says that he doesn't know what's going on and doesn't yeah, like it. That was a great moment, I thought. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and he says he, he hates to admit it. Yeah, yeah, but he doesn't know what's going on. And to um, Jeremy, know, to Jeremy's point, I mean, we talked we talked last week a little bit about with uh, Jade in episode three being a, being a normal character who's Im- embroiled in this and being able to have that be sort of a pressure release as the audience. And like, I think Sheriff Truman also served as that a little yeah. bit during uh-huh. the middle of Andy and Lucy's heightened mania. But it's so good that the ultimate one of those comes from. An like FBI is he a bureau chief? Like a he high, was. I don't know. Who knows what yeah. he is now? But a high-ranking FBI agent who is 
Cooper's boss, who is heading up this investigation, who is also the co-writer, director, and showrunner of this show, <laughs> being a character who says, I don't like to admit it, but I don't know what's going on. Yeah, it's like, great. As just like, Which oh, is, I mean, just and like. That's, <laughs> and that's more direct, really. In, I mean, the sort of like, what the hell, and I don't know what's going on in a way is more direct than almost anything we got in the original season, which would have, you know, the the sort of Sheriff Truman version of that would have been the sort of weary, like, you know, well, Co- I Cooper, I just, stuff, this is uh, just, a, I don't know. You know. Yeah. But the, and then Cooper saying, stick with me. Right. Whereas this is a lot more lost. Yeah. And just, out, just adrift. Which I think it's refreshing and it's also kind of justified given how out on a limb so much of this show has gone. Totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it also it makes the stakes seem really high because Gordon Cole is a character who you expect to be. I mean, this is, goes goes without saying, I guess. But Gordon Cole is a character who you expect to be on top of all this stuff because he's the one who assigns Cooper to these things in the first place. And like yeah. in Fire Walk with Me, he's very clearly he knows more than any of his agents know. Like as you mm-hmm. from like the Blue Rose uh, scene in the sort of prologue of that mm-hmm. of that movie. So to have him out of his depth makes everything seem more intense but also is even way more of a relief or like god if gordon cole is confused yep it's totally okay for me to be confused yeah. on that note they don't get any bluer also oh that's true referenced in this episode cheesy but good yeah i liked it uh okay last email for for this time because we we're really running out of time coco giddings writes hey chris and jake my favorite moment thus far was sarah palmer's appearance in episode two because i'm fascinated by the character and grace Zabriskie is a genius and a pleasure to watch i've often wondered how we're supposed to feel about sarah's involvement in laura's life and death at times she is portrayed as blissfully unaware of the awfulness going on around her other times it seems the creators want to hold her at least partially accountable for not doing more to help her daughter what do you think was her first appearance in season three comfortably numb to the violent gruesome scenes around her on the television a sign that frost and lynch intend to further explore sarah's complicity i'd love to hear your thoughts thanks again for your podcast and providing my weekly twin peaks fix coco in melbourne australia also chris you totally nail your gordon cole impression has me in stitches every time (laughs) i don't know if i read sarah palmer as being comfortably numb to what was on screen as much as like i mean i guess just like living in it, it just feels, being surrounded it feels like by maybe it. Maybe she was numb, but I don't know if I don't know if comfortably is the right adjective. Like it felt like Yeah. Maybe desensitized, but that's probably but a in the way, way that in it. the way that like when you're desensitized to something, it doesn't necessarily mean that it doesn't impact you at a deep level. It just means that you don't sort of like blanch when you see it anymore. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like it feels like the well inside of Sarah Palmer is so deep mm-hmm. that you could shovel a ton in and it wouldn't register, but it was still filling it up. Yeah. Basically is is how, is how I felt when I saw that scene. Um, the point about how complicit she is or how held the task she should be is one that I feel like the show has never really been explicit about both because it feels like sometimes it's wanted to leave it ambiguous and sometimes because it's contradicted itself. Yeah. Cause again, in fire walk with me, it is much more suggested that she is, that she knows she was more aware of this stuff. And then, it feels, it, it, but in Fire Walk with Me, it feels like she knows, but it doesn't feel like she has ultimate agency over her fate any more than Laura does living under no, Leland. No, no, absolutely. And I mean, I yeah. think that's a, that's a, an important distinction yeah. to make, though, because yeah. like it's very easy to say, well, she knew. Why didn't she yeah. act? And like yeah. it, it seemed like. But well, right, but but I mean, and part of what I think what makes Fire Walk with Me so powerful is that you can mirror that to real world experiences yeah. of abuse and like. There are, you know, people often don't act because yeah, it, they are sort of psychologically under uh, thrall. Yeah, for for as sort of jovial as Leland was, his sort of like 
not manic depressive, but like he just the switch that flipped in that character where he would just become so threatening, even when he just had a huge smile on yeah. it. Made, mm-hmm. Like the the just implicit physical and emotional threat of that guy being set off seems like it was enough to keep Sarah Palmer glued to her chair. Yeah, the, it's it's tough to reconcile with the fact that they just straight up didn't know that Leland Palmer was the killer in the early episodes too. As far right. as like how. You're never going to get an early Twin Peaks where Sarah Palmer is behaving like she knows that something is wrong when the I writers think, and the actors didn't know. I think know. that's okay. I think yeah. that's okay. I think she – the trauma, I think – Oh, I, th- I think gives, it, all, it, it all tracks, but it's – you know, it's 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 never going to be 100% a complete yeah. story because it was created and told out of order. It's tr- Yeah. I mean it's true, but I don't, I don't actually really think – You really want to get I don't think it – yeah, but I don't think – I think even knowing that, I think it is pretty easy to reconcile yeah, no. the, the performances the, against the reality. The ways the ways that both Sarah and Leland express despair and surprise and just sort of the way that their lives fall apart ends up feeling just like brilliantly perfect in most ways when yeah. you get all the way back through and see yeah. the cycle um, to the point that it's surprising that they didn't know. But yeah. if you want to like, I don't know, I've... I didn't mean to literally just contradict myself, but I like I feel both of those forces. No, I know what you mean. When I yeah. when I watch early Twin Peaks, yeah, um, or it's not even when I watch it, but when I make myself sit back and go, hmm, I think this about it. Like if I sure, if sure. I do a when you really think about it to myself, that is only that only then that I yeah. that I become conflicted. But when I'm watching it, it it all just plays well. Um, all right, well, I think that's it for this episode of Twin Peaks Rewatch. We're now going to be on a regular weekly schedule. So hopefully we'll be able to get these out each Monday. Um, if we, if we are, uh, can keep to that schedule, we'll, we'll, we'll see if that continues, but definitely one a week for the next few months. Um, and I'm looking forward to it. You can send us email at twin peaks at idle And our website is twin peaks, where you can find the other places we are online, including our, uh, our YouTube videos are on that website as well. Our YouTube. YouTube. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us. For Idle Thumbs, I'm Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. Bye. Imagine if Lucy had to figure out what YouTube was. (laughs) 